When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we've got uh, Sadie and John Paul taking your calls today. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. 1850-333-103. Text and WhatsApp is also available at 86 Yesterday I was mentioning some priests. We had various parishioners ringing in about priests that were doing particularly well in their areas, particularly those that are going online and saying Mass because we were discussing the fact that so many people uh, are missing Mass and we're hoping the mass would come back uh, sooner rather than later. Actually, um, uh, later I have a piece where the, the bishops now are uniting to bring forward the resumption of masses um, earlier rather than wait until July. Yesterday, it was the Catholic Association of Priests who felt it was wrong to push for the earlier reopening of churches. But I have to say, many of our listeners uh, yesterday feeling very saddened and some feeling, I think, a little bit lost because they're not able to go to mass. So it was lovely yesterday to hear people mention a particular priest in their area who, who they felt was was giving lovely masses online or you know were doing their bit to try to help their parishioners and I didn't get around to mention them all so there was two that came in at the close of the programme uh, that I just want to give a quick shout out to. Uh, Norma was on to say that Father Francis Manning in Newmarket does an absolutely beautiful mass every morning online so a big thank you to Father Francis Manning and Eddie in Bottevent was saying Father Baker gives uh, a lovely mass every morning as well so well done because some of those priests really have to adapt and they haven't been used to going online and it must be very different for them as well to be sitting inside in an empty church uh, and whether they're aware that there's people watching or not I, I wonder we, we may speak to uh, some priests about that and how they're getting on with it but I just want to give a shout out uh, to those uh, priests. Now we are going to be discussing nursing homes on the programme today and the state's chief medical officer Dr Tony Houlihan is saying that Ireland needs to move away from the language of blame around uh, COVID-19 and that ongoing lessons are being learnt on how we are responding to this pandemic. Uh, Dr Tony Houlihan was speaking in the context of nursing homes and rising public discourse about the disproportionate number of deaths in that particular sector. And yesterday, the National Public Health Emergency Team, NEFET, they reported a further nine deaths. I mean, yesterday we were almost marking it as a red letter day because there'd been a report from the previous day that there'd been no deaths. I did say that it came with a little bit of caution because it was Monday. And if we're ever going to get a day with a low number of deaths recorded, it's always on a Monday because of the way deaths are reported over the weekend. Uh, So there was nine deaths uh, reported yes, yesterday um, bringing it to 1,615. So even though we were reporting deaths yesterday, there was still some very good news in the figures yesterday in that we had the lowest number of new cases confirmed at 37 were, were confirmed yesterday and that 
that's the lowest number since March the 13th. So certainly that has got to be uh, welcomed. And then the NEFID briefing, when we were getting those figures yesterday, it came after that Oireachtas committee meeting. That, as I say, we're going to be discussing in a couple of minutes on the programme. It was examining, it's examining the state's response uh, to the crisis. But there was some very heated exchanges yesterday about the high level of infection, which has then led to a high level of deaths within our nursing homes. There has been 884 deaths in nursing homes and that works out at just under 55% of the total number of deaths. And I think people are very saddened and family members are very angry, I think, about it as well, that their loved one was in a nursing home, picked up COVID-19 and subsequently died uh, from it. Now, he, Dr Tony Hulham was asked to respond to this ongoing fall, fallout and was that, that's when he appealed to society to say, look, now is not the time. We need to avoid pointing the finger of blame. He said protecting individuals isn't a question of blame or identifying the source of who is responsible. And he was saying that some of the language that he heard uh, yesterday, he felt that it was unhelpful. He said the best response has got to be how we all pull together now as a country, how we get solidarity and uh, support. And he said there's lots of organisations involved in the response. And he said every organisation has things to learn. And I think that's what most people will want, is that everybody learns from it you know, not necessarily anybody gets hung out to dry or there's a finger blame pointed at anyone, but we've got to make sure that what has happened in the nursing home can never happen uh, again. And we'll be speaking with Ty Daly from Nursing Home uh, Ireland. And he spoke yesterday of nursing homes feeling that they were left uh, isolated, particularly in the very early stages of the coronavirus and a public health-led response which is the first instance has to focus on dealing with community transmissions. This is what Tony Houlihan said. We always have to deal with the community uh, first and because of that there was simply no way of protecting uh, nursing homes or any other of those institutional uh, settings. They had to get it right in the community. And the good news is, I mean they certainly do appear uh, to be getting it right in the in the community but it's the nursing homes, you know, when we have over 55% of our deaths. Could you imagine if we didn't have those that level of deaths in the nursing homes our figures would be so much uh, lower Uh, and yesterday there was lots of correspondence spoken about I think and you know and some of it was quite shocking I mean to hear correspondence saying that staff at nursing homes were wearing painters overall for protection uh, that they went to local uh, dressmakers asking them to make masks for them I mean they should have had the very best of uh, PPE gear then of course as was mentioned yesterday in this programme a couple of listeners uh, brought it up about nursing homes receiving patients who were transferred from acute hospitals without confirmation of whether they had COVID-19 tests and, and I know the hospitals had to free up beds they had to be ready because they were getting ready in case this surge happened. So what did they do? They started transferring people from the acute hospitals out into the nursing homes. You would have assumed that they would only go to the nursing home when they had a COVID-19 test to show that they were uh, negative. And then there was warnings about continuing poaching of staff. Uh, We were certainly hearing about that locally. Nursing homes were losing staff. The HSC were poaching them because the HSC said they were going to need the staff. And that, of course, led to huge problems then within the nursing home uh, sector. 
sector. And then there was lots spoken about yesterday of letters going over and back between Nursing Home Ireland and the uh, Department of Health. And the finger of blame goes on and on. As I say, we will talk with Tyg Daly uh, in more detail on the programme about it today. I mentioned yesterday we were talking about mass and the people wanting to go back to mass and people feeling how much they missed mass. And it was one of their when when initially actually on Monday when I started asking people what they most what they were most looking forward to when lockdown was completely uh, lifted. And I'd expected lots of people to say going away on holidays and it wasn't. It was all of the simple things like hugging a grandchild a walk on a beach, uh, going for a walk in a favourite wooded area and then so many people uh, spoke about Mass and then yesterday we heard from the Association of Catholic Priests who are fearful of opening up the churches too early uh, and they're very fearful for the more vulnerable in their communities, older people in particular, because they've even noticed that since churches have opened many for an hour or two a day, a couple of days a week, they've noticed that the cohort of people that are coming to pray in private and for private reflection are older people and they're just worried that older people if somebody came in and had COVID-19 and uh, might not have symptoms and then if it was passed on to other older people and you could understand why priests in parishes are worried about it but the Catholic bishops now are coming out and they're pushing for an earlier resumption of public masses at the moment on the roadmap for reopening of society the government are saying that masses can start back up and running from the 20th of July But in a letter to priests and parishes in his diocese, the Archbishop of Armagh, Eamon Martin, said that a national framework document which the Irish Bishops' Conference is drafting at the moment will be used to support their case to go to the government and to the public health authorities. Now, the document, which Dr Martin says was almost complete, is going to ask for an early resumption of the public celebration of Mass and of the sacraments. If we do wait until the 20th of July, If we go with what the government and the health authorities are asking us to do, it will mean that we here in Ireland, we will be one of the last countries in Europe to lift the ban on public worship. Catholic bishops in other European countries have already pressed their governments for an early return to collective worship. And it's worked in other countries and other countries have actually opened up their churches and they've opened them up in uh, phase one. So in a video message released for Pentecost Sunday, Dr Martin, who is of course the Primate of All Ireland, paid tribute to the faithful, who he said are making great sacrifices to protect life and health and to support the common good. And he said... The sacrifices have worked. It's borne fruit when you look at the number of COVID-19 deaths against what was expected to die from COVID-19. He also said, look at the ICU admissions. They're all continuing to decline. But he said, and I think certainly the people who've been contacting us over the last few days will identify with this. He says, we miss meeting up as a parish community. So that's what we miss the most. And his view was echoed by Archbishop Dermot Martin. He told his priests and his parishioners as Christians, we suffer through not being able to celebrate our faith through public worship. The Archbishop of Dublin said he has a longing among his, or he said there was a longing amongst his believers to be able to return to public uh, worship. And he's also hinted that the date that has been set out in the government roadmap this death of uh, July 20th may be brought forward, noting that the roadmap remains under constant evaluation. And, and I think even Dr. Tony Houlihan would say it's under constant uh, evaluation. So does the Taoiseach, so does Simon Harris. If we keep doing what we're doing and the figures continue to go down, 
then there is a case and there will be a case to ease some of the restrictions and to say something that was not meant to happen until phase four can happen in phase three or in this case the mass is not meant to start back until after July the 20th maybe that can come back to the date previous to that which is the 29th of June isn't that when the the phase before it um, opens up and on Monday the standing committee of the Bishops Conference they met for the first time they did it was via video call um, and they agreed on this a checklist of physical distancing and hygiene if mass was to get back up and uh, running. And they're going to be releasing this document next month. Now, it's going to cover areas such as safe physical distancing, good hygiene while in the church. It will include guidance on the, the distribution and the reception of Holy Communion. Somebody yesterday raised that saying, how could a priest ever possibly... Uh, give out or uh, give Holy Communion out. You couldn't physically take a communion out and place it into somebody's mouth. You couldn't even put it hand to hand onto somebody's uh, hand. So there's going to need to be very clear advice around that. Then obviously there's going to be advice that will have to be given to the altar service, to the concelebrants, to the Eucharistic ministers or anybody who assists in a Mass. So at the beginning of June, the bishops are going to meet online again and they're going to consider extending. At the moment there is a suspension of the Sunday obligation to attend uh, Mass. There's also, and they'd done this earlier, a suspension of the sign of peace and there's also uh, the holy water fonts are all empty. So they're going to look at that again in uh, June and then they will discuss the celebration of baptism, the celebration of marriages and confession in the context of the ongoing restrictions. Now some priests around the country are, I saw a baptism where a child was, was baptised and the priest had a, a plastic water gun, you know, the little plastic guns that children play with that fill up with water and he literally squirted the holy water across, you know, there was social distancing done in the church. So I suppose where there's a will, there's a way. I've also heard of uh, priests that were doing confession out in car parks in their church. They There was one priest in particular, uh, he set up, put a sign out saying he'd be doing confession on you know a Saturday afternoon, say at three o'clock. And he said, you know, he had a seat and then he had a seat social distance away from him outside the front of the church. And he said he brought his book with him because he was expecting, you know, very few people to turn out. And there was a queue of people turned up for to hear a confession, so much so that he had to bring a second priest the following Sunday and they extended it for a couple of hours. So I suppose some priests are uh, adapting, but the big one is, and the biggie for most people, is to have the Mass back up and running. So the Catholic bishops, it looks like they're going to push for it as well. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Fon Sawalcha, Lassie 103. Kilometer den Balle in Eichrau Kilometer. Big Niederlauf Nies Minnecke Legalunach Agassischke, Nabig Lagenlauf Erdeidan, Agas Mathach Kassach no Sniefert Agat, Dene Idillen. Kamadelig Ekfanach Samale, Agas Bienche 
Zacher Lena Pasti, Ach Nadine Damagwilga Lorodi Spiel of Dana Vlo, Tayer Ashkrigna Bunrodi Kasula Alina, Kardiot, Agus Mirana Mari, Fon Savalta, Fon Samale. Lahai Tilla Olish, Fon Lin, RC 103. Now, Nursing Homes Ireland CEO Tyg Daly said that early March was a distressing period for the sector and the problem was, was exacerbated by what they saw as a lack of engagement with the authorities. Tyg Daly was speaking at the Oireachtas Committee examining the COVID-19 crisis yesterday and he joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Tyg. Good morning, uh, and, and And you're welcome to, to the programme. Did, did, you fi- did you find yesterday quite challenging? Uh, not particularly, I suppose. Uh, I was there to outline what I saw from my perspective and to represent the members and those in the care of our members. Um, so, no, I mean, it, 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 uh, I mean I'm never shy of ro- robust debate, but I suppose I was confident that what I had to say was both accurate, correct and, and factual. OK, outline in what way do, do you feel the authorities left your industry down, particularly in those early days in, at, in March? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the point here, and I, I made the point yesterday and I'll make it again, you know, it's not about finger pointing. It's not about blame. It's not about saying we did this and you did that and someone didn't do the other. I think that doesn't get us anywhere. But what I was trying to do was lay out in clear and unequivocal terms the perspective from the nursing home sector. And I think it's accepted by all that there was a, a very strong focus on the acute hospitals. Uh, it was about getting the acute hospitals ready. It was about the ICU beds. It was about, you know, preparing for the surge that was going to come in the acute hospitals. And that was right and proper. I'm not saying for a second that wasn't the right thing to do. It was absolutely the right thing to do. But the, all of that effort, I would say, was at the expense of community care in general. And I mean nursing homes, disability centres, I mean home care. All of those services in the community were marginalised, I would say, again, uh, I would say as well, uh, at the expense of the acute hospital system. And I t- look, it is fair to say as well, if, if, if they weren't prepared in the acute hospitals, then there would be some issues now. But clearly, I suppose, care of the older person and community care in general is, is, is very often, to use that phrase, the Cinderella of the health service. I mean, there are 10,000 beds or maybe 11,000 beds in the acute hospital system. There's over 30,000 people live in residential care uh, when you when you take in public, private and voluntary nursing homes. So clearly, uh, in my mind, uh, there, was a, there wasn't the right focus in terms of the, the non-acute care provision uh, in terms of the, the threat of COVID. And I think that was exacerbated by the fact that we, we knew and we know now that the older population were much more susceptible uh, and, and at a greater risk in and, terms and the, of but the, 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 the one, pandemic. The one thing that, I, that would certainly, uh, I would find very disappointing was we knew that at the time. We knew when, you know, looking to other countries, we yes. knew that older people were going to be the the most vulnerable when it came to COVID nineteen, and I absolutely accept that we have we they had to deal with community transmission of the virus. They had to stop it in in the community, but yeah. surely they should also needed to firmly have a focus on the nursing home sector. Yeah, and that's the point. As you say, we knew that it was going to disproportionately impact on older people. COVID is is a respiratory uh, disease, and, and that's where it affects most. We know that older people suffer. Uh, mostly from the respiratory, particularly those in in in, uh, in older age. Uh, I mean, the other interesting figure that came out yesterday was that the the actual RIP rate of over seventies in nursing homes is the same as the RIP rate in the community. So I think that's important as well that when people are hearing about nursing homes, it's not all negative. Four out of every five resident that contracted COVID in the nursing home has made a full recovery. 
Uh, and that's not to negate for a second the, the tragedy of over 800 deaths in, in nursing homes. And it is, it is, it's a deep regret for all of us uh, involved in, in, in health and social care generally to see such, uh, such a high proportion of, of, of deaths in the nursing home sector. But the nursing home sector got a lot right. Uh, and I suppose the objective for me yesterday was to ensure that, as I say, I laid out in fairly clear and unequivocal terms and truthful the, the experience uh, that I had over the, those couple of weeks, which was very distressing from our members' point of view, very distressing for families. And what I was trying to do as, as the chief executive of the organisation was to ensure that those concerns were escalated, as it were, to the highest possible uh, within the department. And to be fair to the minister, uh, on the 30th of March, we met the minister uh, and he took it in hand himself. And so from that day to this, uh, it is important to acknowledge that the minister and indeed all the officials in the department have really um, stepped up, as it were. Uh, and we have now got the virus under control, but we can't be complacent either. OK, I think the question that constantly comes up from listeners to this programme when I talk about nursing homes, Tig, is the fact that firstly many people are missing their loved ones and they haven't been yeah. able to get to see them since March and that's, that is really heartbreaking and as soon as I mentioned you were coming on the programme I can see questions coming in saying Jazz yeah. Tig, when will they be reopened? So the nursing yeah. homes were, were locked down and visitors stopped going in and there wasn't COVID-19 in many of the nursing homes. How did the yeah. COVID-19 get into the nursing homes? I mean it's very difficult to see. I, as I said yesterday I'm not, a, I'm not a virologist, I'm not a public health expert but clearly uh, the point I've continuously made is that the level of community transmission, I would argue, was very, very high in January and February in, in our country. Um, I've spoken with people uh, who have said that they were quite sick themselves in January and February and they didn't think it was COVID, but looking back, they thought it was a bad flu. Uh, so that's one element. And I think ultimately how it got into nursing homes was uh, a community transmission at an early stage, I would suggest. I would also suggest that there was an element of it coming from residents who were transferred from acute hospitals. And yes, also staff because staff obviously were coming in, uh, doffing and donning PP as appropriate when they had it, uh, and then going back home or going shopping or whatever the case may be. So, you know, there's no one single element that we can that we can point to. Uh, and again, it, as I say, it's not about finger pointing uh, or it's not about blaming. It's about trying to understand what the challenges were so that we don't repeat those same mistakes ever again, uh, even in, 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 if, if we were to, uh, God forbid, uh, face a second wave or indeed any future uh, global pandemic such as this. And the, the PPE gear certainly back in the early days was a huge issue for, for many of your members. I mean, you know, to hear from that committee meeting yesterday some of your members wearing painters overalls and mm. going to local dressmakers to make homemade masks. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happened. I think it happened right across the health service. We, we weren't alone. And again, this is not to say that, you know, people had TPE and they weren't giving it to us. Uh, that would be an unfair representation. Uh, the, the HSE struggled themselves, but the point we were making was that when it was when it was distributed initially, again it was very much distributed towards the the, the acute hospital system. Uh, and then when when it became a scarce commodity, uh, we struggled, and every GP GP struggled, everybody struggled to actually get uh, adequate sources. We can still I can still see on that Sunday I think it was uh, the images of the the um, the plane arriving from China. You know, there was a sense of euphoria almost uh, that we had uh, a steady supply of PPE. So that's how important PPE was because PPE gave, obviously, uh, staff members the, the, the ability to barrier nurse effectively, uh, but it also ensured that we were trying to contain the virus, particularly if you had 
uh, you know, a, one or two residents in a, in, a, in a residential care facility, it was important that PPE would, would, would be provided uh, on an ongoing basis. That has, again, I think it's important to say to your listeners that that has improved greatly over the last number of weeks. Um, and, and, you know, that's a measure of the commitment of everybody to try and, I suppose, address, address what were significant challenges. OK, and there was criticism yesterday of your members, the fact that they are privately funded. Mm. Uh, Michael in uh, Castletown Mayor is pointing out Fergus O'Dowd was 100% correct. What he said in the Dáil yesterday, the private nursing homes weren't up to the mark where proper staffing and PPE gear. Private nursing homes are only a money-making racket. It's the same as going on in, uh, in uh, England. How do you address that criticism of your industry? That yeah, it, I mean, they're privately funded. No, well, it's not privately funded. It's a private operation. It's a private operation, my apologies. Yeah, it's funded, it's funded by the state ultimately through, through the fair deal. I mean, look, I, I don't want to get into, like, you'll note from my statement yesterday if you saw it, but when I opened my, my opening remarks, I said that it is important for us to recognise the commitment and staff of all, HSE, public and, and private. My focus is about the residents who live there. I, I know from talking to people that who, who, who are care recipients and who live in nursing homes, the, the, the least thing on their mind is the name over the door. What they want to know is once they get inside the nursing home, what will the care be like and is the care up to, up, up to, uh, up to standard? And I'll remind your listeners uh, and, and your caller that, in fact, the highest number of deaths, and this is, again, you might say a bit churlish of me, but I think it's important to get some balance into it. The highest number of RIPs in any nursing home in the country has been in, 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 a, in a, a HSE facility in Dublin. Um, likewise, in many parts of the country. So it's not all about private public or voluntary. We need to get away from this uh, silo mentality and uh, this idea that we can point and, and look over the ditch. In effect, what we, what we need to talk about is the people, the people who live in the nursing homes and to make sure that we have safe, high-quality care for those people, irrespective of who owns it. The, the private nursing home sector is, bar none, I would suggest to you, the most highly regulated in the entire country. It's regulated from a standards point of view by HICWA, and it's also regulated from a funding point of view by the National Treatment Purchase Fund. So uh, I don't think that's a fair characterisation, uh, but I'm happy to have that debate at, at some stage into the future. And because do, we, but we but, but more are, than anything, uh, Tyke, we need to learn. We need to make sure that this never happens again. And that's the point uh, I was trying to make, and that's why I highlighted those four issues. It was PPE, it was staffing, it was the discharge, uh, of, of uh, patients from the acute hospitals um, and, and uh, the, the lack, I would suggest, of a national plan for community care. Um, and that's not to say that there was a lot of good, good things done. There absolutely was. Uh, I was in daily contact with officials in the department. I was in, in regular contact with, with the minister's office, uh, with the minister since the 30th of March. So look, there was a, a renewed commitment there, obviously, to, to uh, not to make uh, the same mistakes again. Um, and that's the, that's the ultimate objective of, from my perspective. Okay. And, and, the, and where the, are we at now, do you believe, when, when it comes to nursing homes? Well, uh, clearly, uh, again, I don't have all the figures, but uh, as I understand it from the HSE press conference, on, or the press briefing rather, on Sunday last, that they're saying now that there was seven or eight nursing homes nationally out of 578 uh, that they would regard in that red category. So uh, at one stage, a number of weeks ago, that was up at 95. Mm. Um, so I think that's very positive. And the feedback from my members is there, there is a sense of stability coming back into the sector. The testing has been a huge issue as well, because now you can test uh, and you can ensure that if someone is, it, like there was a huge level of asymptomatic residents and staff. So now if you're testing and if someone is asymptomatic, but if they are testing positive, then they can be put off duty. Uh, whereas in the early stages, that didn't happen. 
because what you were looking for was symptoms, uh, whereas the fact that a large number of people had were asymptomatic was a huge impediment as well. So, it, and we're I also getting the, test results back faster. I mean, correct. It was, uh, there was a, a huge problem. And that's back to your earlier point. I mean, what we need to do now, the, the ECDC, which is the European uh, uh, Control Disease Centre, they issued some guidance uh, last week on the 19th, and they're suggesting that there should be weekly testing in long-term care. And that's critical in terms of the point you made earlier on. We've made a very sub, uh, strong submission to the department and to, and to NEFIT around the reopening and the easing of visitor restrictions. Uh, I, I spoke on your programme before about the decision we took on the 6th of March was made with a very, very heavy heart, I can assure you. Uh, and we need to get now into a position whereby we're talking and planning, uh, carefully planning, I would, I would add, um, and not reintroducing, obviously, the risk of COVID into a nursing home. But we do need to get a situation back uh, very quickly whereby uh, families can get back to visiting in a safe, uh, in a safe manner to see their, 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 their family members. Uh, and accor- according to the easing of the restrictions, it's in phase three, isn't it? The 29th of June, phased visiting will begin in hospitals That's and residential right. centres. Uh, and right. and is, is, is that what your members are aiming for as well? Yeah, I think some people, some people are hoping for earlier than that, to be honest. Okay. Uh, but okay. again, we need to be careful with that. I'm aware of some nursing homes that have, for example, looked at, um, you know, porta cabins and marquees on the outside of the building. Uh, so it means that the resident, or the, sorry, the family member doesn't actually physically come into the building and the resident doesn't leave the building. So I think we can be creative in some respect, but we need to do it. And that's happening primarily where there hasn't been an outbreak. Um, so we do need to look at all those measures. And as I say, we're hope- hopeful. I think the, the NFIT or the NFIT is meeting tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, and my understanding is that they will give some further guidance uh, on the easing of visitor restrictions, oh, which would be a so, huge relief. So many people desperate, God. just desperate Absolutely. to go see to go see the and the, the residents. God help them as well. Uh, so looking forward to seeing their families. Okay. Listen, Ty, thank you for that. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak again. But thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Ty Daly, who is the uh, CEO of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Uh, a listener says, hi there. Can I just say, my brother had a stroke uh, three years ago. He was aged 57. My God, what a young man to have a stroke. He is in a nursing home and the care he has received is incredible. That is terrific to hear. There's some wonderful, wonderful uh, nursing homes out there for sure. 1850. 333103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text WhatsApp 0862 103103 Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Hello this is Eric Griffin join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 anthems and then... Hello, this is Declan Ernie here. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Daniel O'Donnell here, and you're listening to Country and Irish with Eric Griffin on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8s, right here on C103. Now, a survey by the Federation of Early Childhood Providers shows that the majority of creche owners say they will not reopen on June 29th. June 29th is the date the government tends to start a phased resumption of services. Elaine Dunn is Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers and she joins me. Good morning to you Elaine. Good morning, how are you? Uh, I'm very well and you're welcome. I suppose just to, just let's remind listeners, the plan is to open childcare facilities on the 29th of June but is that just for essential workers? It is, it's for essential workers on the 29th of June. So um, we do, the providers, we all want to open our doors. Um, But what is happening now here is there's a result of uncertainty and anxiety within the sector. There's no clear guidance anywhere. 
um, you know, it can it can definitely be easily resolved if um, the minister, our minister, would listen and work with the providers on the ground. I'm sure there is a mechanism that we can all work on to get the country back up and running. But at this time, that has not happened. The, the plan that that we would like is that everybody needs to have an input here. We need to listen to the providers. I'm a provider. I've got two two big services here in Dublin, and. Like uh, we're not getting listened to, we're not being consulted with. You have a group of people on a subcommittee within the department now at the moment who are ba- banned by, like, they're not allowed to tell us anything. You know, they've been told that they can't come back out and give feedback out to the providers. Uh, okay, Catherine Stapone, the Minister, um, it has been looking at this Norwegian model of reopening services with these pods uh, where you yeah. have a, a, a group of children and they they stay together and they only play together with the same toys and the, and the same staff. C- yeah. Can that model work in this country? Um, well, you're going to have one staff member to every four children. So, okay. Um, okay, so that means you're going to have double the staff. Okay, even treble the staff in some services. So you need to have um, financial backing for that from the government to bring on uh, to bring in new staff. And as we know, this is a staff crisis within our sector as well. This was brought to the, we highlighted this back on the fifth of February when we protested. Like there's a whole load of issues here in childcare and have been for many years now, and we have not been listened to. And now we're here and we're stuck in in this mess here. You know, uh, this financial uncertainty for providers here at the moment. You know, we're, we're all, like, nobody is getting any money from anywhere. Um, most providers that are still working, by the way, within our services, we are now on the dole. Mm. Okay, so, you know, it's, it, it, it it's is tough. tough. And, you know, we are definitely committed here to turn these percentages around and to hopefully open up on the 29th of June. But it has to be done through consultation with everybody. Okay, around has there been any consultation or much consultation between the government and your industry about how you can successfully open? No, there hasn't been. And I, and I will be brutally honest, no, there has not been whatsoever. And at the moment, you have the groups that are the subcommittee that the minister has now put together. And um, that she said the sector picked, which we didn't pick, by the way. Um, so that committee that's sitting there, they are now consulting with the minister. But our, our group as the Federation, we have asked for the minutes of the meetings. We have asked continuously to be included within the meetings. And we are being completely blocked from going in. And we are speaking on behalf of 1,400 providers across our country. You know, And, and we're not so many to. other sectors, Elaine, are, who are due to open, are dependent on your sector being up and running or they can't go to work. Well, this is it. And I mean, this is why I say we do, all of the providers across the country want to work with our minister. We want to open our doors, but we want clear guidelines we need financial help here because if they're talking about the pods, what's going to happen is you've got to partition off rooms, you know, to to get these pods going. We're going to need more toys, more equipment, you know, and, and this is all financial stuff. I've heard of uh, last night speaking to a provider who in all of her rooms has put in sinks, who is doing a load of work and stuff in the garden, partitioning off the garden for the children and everything. It's all a financial burden. She's had to take a, a huge loan out. You know, so there's no sustainability here for us. Nobody is helping financially. So we're expected now, because I don't think we're going to have much out between now and the end of next week from the Minister's office, which is going to give us three weeks in order to carry out all of the work that needs to be done within our services without any financial backing. How are we supposed to do this? So your gosh is telling you you won't reopen on the 29th of June? My ghost is telling me we won't be reopening. And, and I've heard from providers yesterday that they've got in touch with their county childcare um, 
the staff there and the management and been told by some of the county child care committees that they don't think this is going to happen either. And I mean, they're linking in with the government. So I would have huge worries if they're saying that to providers now. OK, I will follow this one with, uh, with interest, but it, it certainly doesn't look like uh, creches are going to be open. No, and like you're looking at the safety of the children, the safety of our workers, the financial uncertainty, you know, we're looking at all of this as well. And, you know, the well-being of the child. If these pods are brought in, are we looking at drawing a chalk circle around the child out in the play area? Oh, or, I, know, yeah, I saw it, that picture from just, some country in Europe and it I was know just some people awful. think that, that it was a dramatic photograph, but it actually isn't. Um, we have been in touch with providers in Poland as well who said that they're doing, they had started off, they're only two weeks back. So for the first week, they came in with half quota and they have gone back up to full uh, capacity on the second week. And, everything, and, and everything's really well. okay. Everything, yeah. Is, yeah. everything is okay. Yeah, we need to learn from other countries who are, who are, who are ahead of us. Other countries, yeah. Okay. We definitely do. All yeah. right, Elaine, thank you for that and uh, thank thanks for so joining much. us. Bye-bye. That thank is you. Elaine Dunn, who is Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now getting uh, some reaction to nursing homes on my piece with uh, Ty Daly from Nursing Homes Ireland who was before the Oireachtas Committee yesterday and there was some criticism of the nursing homes uh, yesterday, particularly the private uh, nursing homes and the fact, as Ty Daly said, uh, he felt that they felt isolated, particularly in the early days and always angrily rejected uh, by the Fine Gael uh, TD, Fergus O'Dowd and I can see uh, people, various texts coming in about uh, nursing homes, including a call from uh, Geraldine, uh, who's contacted the programme. Good morning to you, Geraldine. Good morning. Geraldine, you sing the praises of nursing homes because of your own brother and where your own brother in the situation your brother fi- found himself in. Yes. Um, my brother had a stroke at 57 and he was taken to um, the stroke unit in Mullingar and then to uh, Dublin to uh, Bowman Hospital. And then from there back to Tullamore Hospital and then to a nursing home in Mount um, Malik, and he is um, completely paralysed. He's a part. He has sorry. He has a little use of one hand, his right hand. Um, he has to be peg fed. Everything is done for him. And like for instance, last night, now I, I phoned him, and the nurses had to gown up and go in and give him uh, the phone, and sort of help him to hold the phone while he was able to take a call and talk to me. And he's completely um, aware of everything that's going on. But the, the staff are just so good to him. You know, he um, he has MRSA as well on top of that. So he really shouldn't be here. But How long case, has he been in the nursing home? Uh, three years. Wow, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like locked-in syndrome he has. Yes. Now, yeah. he's able to talk. Okay. He understands exactly what... She, like last night, for instance, he was asking me what was happening in the hedgerows. And I was oh, right, okay. Blooming and all of that. Then he was asking me about marts and cattle prices. <laughs> and then we were chatting and he was, I was saying, you know, if you could have anything right now, what would you like? And he said, I'd love a cup of coffee. You know, so when people are giving out about COVID and giving out about nursing homes and giving out about everything, like, we're so lucky, Patricia. We can get up, we can walk, we can have a shower, we can, you know, we can have a nice meal, we can have a cup of coffee, we can go outside. Like, he's in a room in isolation. He can't even have visitors, you know. So we're very, very lucky, really. And, and Geraldine, what, what's your brother's, what's his first name? Michael. 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 What, what was life like for Michael before that stroke three years ago? 
So Mike was a very shy, quiet kind of a man, very private man. Um, he had had um, he'd had kidney failure, and he, he was living in Australia. He was a builder out there, and he got a kidney, and he came back to Ireland again. And he, you know, was up and down to hospital in Dublin, and he was on a lot of medication for that. But he had a few cattle. Uh, he did a bit of foot and turf. He um, had his own house. Um, he had a girlfriend. You know, he was a private kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, but life, kind of a, life was good for him. Life was good. He had a normal life. And then he got a bit of a flu. Uh, it was around Christmas time. He wasn't feeling well. Um, he didn't feel well enough to go to the doctor. And kind of thought he'd get into bed and he'd, he'd sort of shake it off. And actually, he was getting out of bed on his way to the bathroom when he tripped on a cord uh, beside the um, beside the bed, the electric blanket cord, they reckon. And he he was having a stroke. So he wasn't found for like a day and a half. And at that stage, his leg had been pinned under him. So he ended up having an amputation on his right leg. So he's been left completely paralysed and in a nursing home. And he's now 60. So completely, um, completely paralysed. Did you say he can he can talk? He can talk. Now it's difficult to understand him, but I understand him. Can he? Can he watch TV? Can he listen to the radio? He can listen to the radio. He can use his phone. Um, I got him an iPad, and so he can bring up his favourite music. He likes he likes Velvet. He likes um oh he's only certain songs, but it's certain music he likes. Um, so he can do those things. And then the staff are very good. Like, up until now, they'd take him out into the garden and they'd put a hat on him and they'd chat away to him and, you know, they'd comb his hair for him and they'd, you know, they'd just be really friendly and nice. And, like, the staff are amazing. You know, they're so good to him. And um, up to COVID-19, would you have gone to visit him much? Oh, would, yeah. yeah, all yeah. the time, yeah. Try and get up as often as I can. Um, so I'd go up and just sit with him and... You know, you'd like to see Ireland's own and you might read him something out of that or you'd, you know, you might say a few prayers with him if that's what he wanted to do or, you know, you'd just chat about things that were going on in the world and, like, he's 100% aware of everything that is going on. You know, he understands about COVID, he understands about... And he has such a positive attitude. I have never once heard him complain in that three years about pain or discomfort or anything he's going through. He will just... Are, are the the question why me? No, he's never. No, he's just said, you know, there might be a cure. I might be able to get up to John Leary um, at some stage, and he just keeps praying and hoping that someday he'll be able to get into John Leary, and you know that he'll be able to get back to swallow, so he can have a cup of coffee, he can eat small amounts of food. You know, but that hasn't happened yet. That's got um, to be one of the toughest parts. I mean, no food, no drink. It's just all peg yeah. fed. So it's just, yeah. it's just calories to keep him alive, basically. Yes, yeah, there's, there's, wow. there's just a um, protein bag beside him and he's hooked up to that. Wow. And he has his, his oxygen. He's on a nebulizer for so many hours a day. He had got, um, you know, the tube in his throat, but they've taken that away. So uh, he's able to read independently. Which is great. And that, that means he can talk and communicate. And, yeah. and yeah. Uh, do, do, you, are, do you know, have they had any COVID-19 in the nursing home where he is? No, I haven't heard anything great. about COVID. No, they haven't said anything, you know. Um, and he doesn't have it, which is the important one. No, and he's in a room on his own now. He's in isolation. So he's in a room on his own because he'd be very high risk. 
um, where he had been in a room with like three other people. There were four of them in the room. He's now in a room on his own. And he's so young at 60, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. very yeah, he, would, he would probably one of the youngest residents in there. Um, I think that I've seen a younger guy. Have you? Um, okay. I've seen a younger guy there with tattoos. So when I've gone in once, I've seen this younger guy out in the garden, yeah. So your point is we have nothing to complain about when, we we're, when we're going through this lockdown and asked us to stay at home? Yes, absolutely. It's such a small ask yeah. when, you, when you think of what other people are going through. So when restrictions are lifted, Geraldine, and the nursing home restrictions are lifted, will it be that would be your first port of call to go and see Mike? Don't worry, like a shot. <laughs> yeah, well done, well done. Yeah. You're a great sister. You're a great yeah. sister. Listen, thank you for that, and and oh. thanks for for giving us the other side of what life is like in a nursing home uh, as well. You look okay. after yourself, Geraldine. Okay, you thanks. Thanks for the call. Uh, bye bye. Eighteen fifty at three 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 one zero three. Eamon says, Patricia, I want to say a big thank you to Mallow General Hospital. What lovely staff are there? They're second to none. Uh, we really do appreciate Mallow Hospital. Says uh, Eamon. I hope it never closes. Somebody else says Hikwa need to do a lot more before any COVID-19 arrived in this country. I had a problem with the nursing home where my poor mother was. They need to be inspecting big time. Well, all of the nursing homes are inspected. I don't know if you got onto Hikwa yourself and actually came up yesterday about inspections because the inspections are still ongoing by uh, HICWA and they say that they'll only begin inspecting nursing homes that have been hit by coronavirus from today. They they have been carrying out inspections on facilities since the 1st of March but none of them were in facilities where they had clusters or cases of COVID-19 but from today uh, they're doing that. But uh, I mean if you have an issue with a particular nursing home we would always say that to people to get on and report your concerns to uh, HICWA and I'm sure it can be done uh, anonymously as well but but HICWA do. They they are inspecting uh, nursing homes. They both do the ones that are planned and the unplanned ones and I know a lot of people have an issue around the planned ones uh, saying why do they have planned ones sure all nursing homes have to do is just to get ready uh, for it. Um, Hi Patricia will we ever be told when coronavirus when it actually came into this country a lot of people had a bad flu and probably some people died from it. Could it have been coronavirus? Will we ever know for sure? Remember there was a Chinese delegation that came around visiting our meat plants. Could some of them have had COVID-19? They could have come and not had any symptoms. Will we ever be able to find out how COVID-19 came into this country? No. I mean we will never, as in Wuhan in China where we know it started, they're always trying to find out who was patient zero, the very first uh, patient and I know once or twice they thought they had identified a man who they reckoned was the first person uh, to get uh, COVID-19. So no we, we will never know and remember when it was in China there was an element of secrecy at the start about it and then of course I think one of the main ways that it spread across Europe were certainly around the ski resorts in Italy people from China had gone to Italy or people from Italy had been in China brought it back to that area of Italy and then of course people from all over Europe went to Italy to ski as they do every year and unfortunately that's where a lot of the COVID-19 cases spread across Europe but will, will we ever be able to point in a particular direction and say that's exactly how COVID-19 came into this country no it's like the question when I was asking Ty Daly about COVID-19 in 
nursing homes, particularly the nursing homes that were shut down and shut down early and they didn't have COVID-19, how did they suddenly get COVID-19? But there's, there's no way we would ever be able to for sure be able to say where COVID-19 uh, came from. Okay, some of your calls in on uh, this. Uh, I think that's Ethel in West Cork uh, wants to say a big thank you to nurses and doctors who are risking their lives for the safety of others. They do it on a daily basis going into n- into hospitals and to nursing homes and also to the members of Angarda Corner who don't have it easy either, uh, says uh, Ethel. Home Helps COVID testing. Helen says, hi, I'm a home help worker. We haven't been tested for COVID-19. I'm always fearful that we could be uh, carriers. And actually Nula to us, three Facebook pages saying a similar thing. Home Helps employed by the HSE are not being tested for COVID-19. There are very good people working in, in the community, but they work with very vulnerable uh, people. Yeah, isn't it strange that they're not being they're not being tested, but I know we did a check to see were the meat factories because somebody has a son working in a meat plant and, and is nervous and they're not. And even though we're seeing more cases in meat plants, but there isn't a blanket testing on meat plants like they did in nursing homes where everyone has been tested. But the big problem now with nursing homes, all the nursing homes have been tested, but there's no plans for follow-up tests. So while you could have a nursing home and everyone is clear when they do the test this week, but what happens if somebody brings in COVID-19 or somebody gets it next week? I mean, I think there needs to be regular testing done in all of our nursing homes. Whether that will happen or not, I don't know. Some of your WhatsApps coming in. Michael, who raised the issue of Fergus O'Dowd, which I did bring up with, with Ty Daly is talking about private nursing homes and the fact that Michael sees that they are money making rackets and it's the same as what goes on in England and he is a story of a friend of his from England who was in a private nursing home this gentleman was taken out of bed every day and sat on a chair. Now, luckily, his wife lived very close. She was only 100 yards away from the home. So she went in every day and gave him his dinner. He would then be put back into bed at six o'clock in the evening without ever being moved out of that chair. And wait for this. They were paying £2,000 sterling a week for that. What a rip off. And then he talks about various businessmen who own a number of nursing homes in the United uh, Kingdom they're only in the business of making money not for the sake of looking after older people where what are the older people's council saying about all of this and what's going on in nursing homes and the number of nursing home deaths have they faded into the sunset I saw SAGE the advocacy group for older people they certainly were speaking yesterday and raising concerns on behalf of uh, older people but Michael not happy I mean I'm wondering Michael would you end private nursing homes and just have public nursing nursing homes. But Ty Daly pointed out that there was more deaths. If you're looking at the number of deaths, the highest number of deaths came out of one of the public nursing homes, not out of one of the uh, private ones. Okay, also on nursing homes, Mary says, Patricia, hope you're well. Um, On this lovely morning, it is a lovely morning, thank God. Just uh, to comment on Ty Daly, who joined you earlier, he mentioned that private nursing homes didn't have adequate PPE gear. Certainly in the early days, they were shouting out for PPE uh, gear. And the problem was it was allocated to the HSE-run hospitals instead. Can I point out that at Fomoy Community Hospital, they didn't have any face masks early on. The staff had to go out and buy them locally. There was a local discount store that was selling them, says Mary. And I remember that. I remember hearing, uh, we were getting calls in about that saying that it was just so wrong that staff themselves had to pay for the face masks and just on face masks themselves a listener says Patricia it's very disheartening to see that so many people have decided not to wear masks when they're in restricted places it certainly will cut the spread of the infection and it beats having to return to self-isolation for many many months it's surely
Surely it's a small price to pay and it could be very successful if it was made mandatory. And of course, we've, we've discussed that before in the programme. The masks, they were, there was talks and speculation that it would be made mandatory. It is mandatory in other countries, but NEFA decided in this country their recommendation to the government was, yes, it was a good idea to wear a mask if you're out in public and if you're in enclosed spaces like supermarkets or on public uh, transport, but they opted not to go down the mandatory route. Again, a lot of that type of advice changes, whether that's one that will change or not, I don't know, only time will tell. And Alyssa says, I was told, who obviously works in, in the health sector, I was told by my employer, this was 10 years ago, not to wear my uniform into work or out of a work. And this was well before we had COVID-19. It was all to do with cross-contamination. But says this uh, listener, the amount of workers that I'm seeing out wearing their uniform during COVID-19 is just incredible. They have a person in in you can have a person who's after only wearing a top for a, a few hours and the amount of germs that can be picked up on that uh, top is a disgrace to see anybody out and about, particularly in supermarkets, wearing uniform. It makes common sense that you would take that uniform off before heading home because you could be bringing all of those germs and the virus home to your family. It's not just COVID-19. You have things like MRSA, flu, etc. All it takes is two minutes to change out of your uniform on the pre- premises at the end of your working day. Somebody's certainly not happy to see that uh, going on. And then there was another uh, call, call on a different issue in from a listener to say that she has seen a nail salon shop that is open in uh, Mallow. And how is that happening? That should, Well, I don't know for sure if, if it is happening. It shouldn't be happening because certainly the nail salon bars, they fall in under the beauticians and the hairdressers and none of them are allowed to open until, according to the roadmap, the 20th of July. Now, what it could be, because we've over the last number of weeks since lockdown had various calls in from people pointing to a hairdresser and various hairdressing salons that they reckon is open. And we had an email in last week from somebody saying that there was a, a notice put on a hairdressing door that says, please use the back door. And people was, that led this person to believe that the hairdressing salon was open. But I do know that a lot of hairdressers, and it could be the same for nail salons and beauticians, they're selling product that's in, you know, a lot of hairdressers and beauticians besides offering the service that they opened when we weren't in lockdown, they also sell items, shampoo, conditioner, hair masks, and beauticians sell, you know, face products and nail bars. I don't know, do they sell nail varnish as well? So when you see some of these businesses open, it could be a click and collect. It could be that they're, they're getting product to give to customers that, that, have, that have bought. So don't be, I'm always, don't be so quick to jump in and say that the actual business is up and running because it might not that might, that might be the case now I don't know unless you actually saw somebody inside in a nail bar actually having their nails done which I haven't seen and I've no evidence of it so therefore I can't um, say where that salon is 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Wesco Windows, they're looking for window fitters, while Charleville Plantar are recruiting for a new lorry driver. You need to have a minimum of a C1 driving licence. A general operative is wanted for full-time work, power washing and painting, that's in the Mid Cork area. And a childminder is wanted four days per week 
for a six-month-old baby that's in the Clonakilty Rathbury uh, area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. It's time Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay at home. Stay home. This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. Keep your comments and texts coming. I promise you we will get back to them. Now, last week I spoke with the Irish Hospice Foundation who are calling on the government to increase the number of people allowed to attend funerals at the moment. It stands at 10. Cork County Council is also supporting the call for the relaxation of guidelines around funerals with councillors saying it is needed in order to bring humanity back into the grieving process. West Cork Councillor Joe Carroll uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Joe, you? I'm very well, thank you. At the moment, the, the restrictions say only 10 people can attend a, a funeral. Is that causing just a huge amount of additional grie- grief for the bereaved? It is. It is indeed, Patricia. Well, Patricia, we'll, we'll, let's be fair from the start. Um, we have to say that from the very start of this crisis that the government, uh, they did they done most everything very well, and they, they, they just very hard to find fault with the, the directions they, they gave us. And in fairness, as a state, I think we behaved very well, and uh, we have a result of that now. I think. I think and we've we are, saved a lot of lives. We did. We I, did, yeah. I think we did. We all did very well. Yeah. But I mean, to be fair to the government and be fair to the, the Tony Holohan and all those people, the directives they gave us obviously there was there was they weren't going to be perfect. But one of the ones that wasn't perfect surely was um, the funeral directive, where uh, only ten people were allowed. And um, it, it's quite definitely, I saw, I, I witnessed it. Well, I didn't witness it, but I, I know of families that, that went through a lot of trauma over, over, over the fact that um, that only 10 members could be in attendance in the church and, 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 and also at, at, at the cemetery. Now, that caused a lot of hardship for the clergy, caused a lot of hardship for the the undertaker. But most of all, this, I suppose, is, is probably the, the toughest time of your life when you're burying one of your loved ones. Um, and uh, people... People they, they want to be there when their when their loved ones are, are, are being are being buried and and their final their final minutes to be in there with them and um, that 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 directive was one that went a little bit too far and we know I, I can hear calls from all directions and rightly so too for a, a little bit more in uh, a, a more humanity in in in, 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 in the circumstances. And Joe, have you heard of have you heard of families who had to make that hard decision of deciding who could attend and who couldn't? Oh, we have, we have oh, indeed. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I, I, let, let us put it this way. In particular, now, like we, every funeral is a sad funeral, but in particular, uh, a grandfather or a or grandmother, you know. Yeah. Uh, grandparents can easily have 20 grandchildren. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. like, you, 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 um, every grandchild thinks their granny is favourite. 
Yeah. And they, they'll all love to be there. So who makes the decision is to say, I'm sorry, some of you have to stay at home and some of you must come. That's a terrible decision to have to make. And I don't know, it must be down to parents might have to make that decision. I don't know who, make it, who makes it, but it, it's a tough one. And it, I, I know it's... it's uh, it hasn't gone down too well with some families, and I, I've heard about it. And you know, like like somebody said, they they come to me and come to other people and say, in the name of heaven, could somebody do something about this? Because we went to the supermarket the other day, and there was twenty or forty people, and twenty-five or thirty people inside. There. Every church in the country is double the size of any of, of most supermarkets I know. So it's very easy to, to 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 put people into a church and and and, and space them out two meters apart, and you would still have you could still have talked to your forty people, and you won't be in anyone's way. But, you but it is fair to say that nobody wants to go. Or well, we will one day, but at the moment we can't go back to the huge crowds of funerals. But at but at least, to, as you know, as as I said in the introduction, to bring back humanity to this, at least. Close family members should all oh, be allowed, yeah, yeah. and mean, no the, limit on the number. The neighbours and neighbours and and friends have been very understanding at yeah. all. They've, uh, they've they've been to crossroads and they've they've been to to to, to, to roadsides and they've stood and and they've shown the respect and families very much appreciate that. And that there's nobody saying that that those that people like like that should be in the church or should be anywhere in this, near the cemetery. It's a direct members of the, the immediate members of the family, yeah. as I said. Now the, the family, children, themselves. grandchildren, siblings, and parents. And, yeah. and, and yeah. things like that. Of course, they, they, it should be lifted to allow all those to be at a funeral, and, and especially, uh, as I said, it's probably one of the saddest times in a family when some loved one passes away, and that uh, everyone associated or close to the person would love to be there for their final moments. And uh, in some cases, I, I, I know of a case where some members of the family were passed out the road outside of the cemetery looking in over the wall. Oh. You know, and that, that is... No, oh, my God. No, my no, God. No, 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 and no. You, as you say, you can do it social distancing. The churches certainly can accommodate it. Uh, and even the cemeteries, in a sense, can accommodate it. You know, graveyards are big open spaces uh, as, um, well, as well. Of course they are. The graveyards are very big open spaces. And again, going back to what you said, no, the general public don't expect to be allowed to go to the funeral it's 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 the the immediate family, R M. Mm. The immediate family, and as I said, no, it's a it's a particular. I did the one. I I've seen it on two occasions where grandchildren were deeply hurt by the fact that they couldn't attend their their grandfather's. Oh, that's uh, just funeral. heartbreaking. That's yeah, just yeah. heartbreaking, yeah. and it's and it is lovely. And and you touched on it when you see neighbours and fam and. <laughs> You okay? You're, you switch it off. You okay? Yeah. When yeah. you see neighbours and you know close friends, when they line the route, are there? They're out at the crossroads. All social distancing. They do but that. They, they do it with respect as well. And, and it's great. That. And it's lovely. It's it's you know because it's is it's a, such a tough time to lose yeah. a, a loved one, but to lose a loved one during this current uh, pandemic and not to have that support. And we're so good at funerals in this in this country of giving that support. I mean, people in this country are great. They they, they totally understand the fact that uh, that people like to be consoled at that sad time, and 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 you know, it's great when you offer your condolences and and meet people. But everyone understands, and like you, like we said already, people show their respect, and the families accept that respect when they stand at crossroads and they stand along the road, the route of a funeral, and everyone understands. Look, this is the way it's going to be for the time being, and. And that's the way we're going to accept it, and there's no problem with that. But it, it is, it is, it is hard on the families and the immediate families. And um, as I said, we we can lift it, and and rightly so. And it, it, I think 
I probably I, I'm one of the, the more optimistic people in, in, around the place. I think this place, this thing is going to lift a little, a little sooner than we think because uh, I think we, we, the, the government were right giving the direction saying giving the long orders saying July and August and all these things. But uh, I honestly think that in rural Ireland that we will be back doing a lot of things at the end of June. And, and hopefully we will in there because the people are getting kind of tired of it now as well. And they are, um, it's not that they're getting tired of it, but they think they have enough done. And I, as well as that... Well, and when you're looking at the figures and when you're hearing the statement yesterday, uh, you know, that the HSC are even saying that they feel it's been suppressed. Uh, you know, if we yeah. all... And nobody... I mean, I think social distancing is going to be with us uh, for, for quite some time. But... I think, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think we are going to see the government. I mean, they look to the health experts for the guidelines, but I think some of what's been pushed out for later in the summer, we can start doing a little bit earlier. But I think this one around the funerals yeah. has to be looked at. And I, I think if we go back to the very start when, the, when, the, when Leo Varadkar put the, announced the, the roadmap along with the, the minister, Minister Harris, his final statement that day was that this is a live document, it's yeah. a moving document, it can change at any yeah. time, and rightly so too, because if things got worse, we'd have to make further restrictions. If things got lighter and better, well then, I think we're on the, we're on the road out, mm. and uh, and I think at, uh, we will see see things, people back doing things towards the end of June, uh, whereas it was expected we would be going July and August. I think we'll be it'll be a month earlier as far as do you think. Do you think there'll be a little bit of a, a tourism bounce for West Cork? Well. There should be, but obviously, I say most of the tourists we're going to get from West Cork will be our own Irish people coming with. Then, you yeah. know, the, whereas the, that's all we want. All we want. We want the staycationers. The Dublin people coming down to West Cork as they always came, and if we can get the the, the, the Cork City people and the Waterford people, they've all come to West Cork. Um, they'll be more than welcome, and I think that this is maybe in a couple of weeks, to three, three or four weeks, they should be on their way back down again, and they'll be made very welcome. I can tell you. Okay. Is there a bit of a buzz with the farmers' market started back up again? Ah, there is. There is indeed. Yeah. yeah. All this is a part of the of, of the. And that's the, it's the, working we're, well, we're isn't coming, it? We're coming back to life yeah. gradually. But it's yeah. working well, isn't it? The farmers' markets and people are social distancing. And oh, they are indeed. Yeah, yeah social distancing. Great. And uh, uh, people have been behaving themselves very well right throughout this crisis. And uh, we, we have seen, obviously you see incidents in the paper there where things are done wrong in different places. But to be fair, in general, all over the country, it's been very well done. Yeah. And, uh, I think every, uh, the praise should go to most people, everyone, people that gave the direction and people that took the directions they all handled it very well I thought anyway Okay Alright Joe listen you look after yourself and thanks a million for joining us on the programme I certainly will Good Thank morning you. to you Bye 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 That is uh, West Cork uh, Councillor Joe uh, Carroll Some of your texts in uh, This is uh, Anthony reacting to my piece with Geraldine talking about her brother at 57 having a stroke and in a nursing home for the last uh, two years Lovely uh, story from uh, Geraldine We are so lucky to be able to get out of bed Every, every morning we all need to take time out and realise there, that there are those worse off than themselves and I'll include that man in my prayers uh, says Anthony thank you for that and on the reopening of uh, churches this is from a Corkman in Germany <laughs> says hi Patricia good morning about masses reopening well here in Germany the churches are opened and so far it seems to be okay now there was a case of COVID-19 in one church in north of Germany so now they're thinking some other ways around it in order to allow people go to uh, mass like not having too many people in the church at any one time when it comes to 
communion. And people have been saying, how do you get around giving out uh, communion? Well, what they're doing here in Germany is they have a table at the front of the altar with a perspect glass and the priest puts the host into a bowl and shoves it under the perspect glass to the people on the other side. It's a good idea and it is working. Stay safe. And that's signed from a Corkman in Germany. Good to have you along to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Infectious disease outbreaks like COVID-19 can be worrying, which may affect your mental health. However, there are many things you can do to mind your mental health during times like these. Stay informed, but set limits for news and social media. Exercise regularly, especially walking. Keep regular sleep routines. Maintain a healthy, balanced diet and avoid excess alcohol. Practice relaxation techniques such as meditation and breathing exercises. Read a book. Search for online exercise or yoga classes, concerts, religious services or guided tours. Improve your mood by doing something creative. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. C103 is online everywhere. Connect with us across our social media and have your say. Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter by searching C103 Cork. Visit our website c103.ie for the latest show info, podcasts and all the news from across Cork and you can listen live. Or take us with you everywhere on your phone. Download the app from the Google Play Store, iTunes or c103.ie. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. Now, our own Sadie has taken time out from answering our phones uh, to join me in studio to share a story about a stone that she found when she was out having a walk in Kinsale at the weekend. Good morning to you, Sadie. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, tell me uh, where you found this and what happened and how you found this stone. It's so a rock. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a painted rock. I have it here so in my hand. So she's dropping it there, the, <laughs> dropping it on the table. Um, so I couldn't sleep, you know, the the lockdown started to get to me a bit. Yeah. You know, just antsy. And so I got up and I went for a walk down along by the cliffs. And I, as I was walking, I was kind of like looking out at the water. And whatever way I looked, I saw this blue rock. The sun was like belting down on it. And I had I walked over to have a look and it said Kingsale lifeboat on it, whatever. It's hand painted. Yeah. Small it's little, varnished as well. Oh it's, oh, it's varnished, it yeah. is. Yeah. Turned it over and it says best revenge is success. And I kind of I was gonna leave it there for somebody else to find and I was like, Do you know what? No, I'll take that now and I'll put it somewhere else. Yeah. And um yeah, then I came into work on, on Monday. On Monday, yeah. And you were talking about it, you saw it in the paper. And I was like, actually, I, I saw a rock. I found one of those, yeah. you said. And I said, where is it? And you said, it's in the car. <laughs> so a bit of creeping later, we found yeah. Maeve on Facebook and we found her Kinsale Rocks page. And, and did it give you a lift? It did. It really did. Yeah. I was in a bit of a mood. I couldn't snap myself out of it. So I was like, OK, I walk by the water now, first thing in the morning, social distance. And yeah, it was lovely just to kind of come across. And I can, like when I saw the other f- photos of the rocks then on the Facebook page, so what a lovely idea. Yeah, and we discovered um, it's the it's called Kinsale Rocks is the initiative. Now, it was actually started last year by the Edwards family and Maeve Edwards uh, is on the line. Uh, good morning to you, Maeve. Good morning. To well, you've put, you? you put... Hi, Sadie. Uh, if you only put your headphones on there, Sadie, you put, you put a smile on our Sadie's face uh, for sure. It's it's just, it's a lovely idea. Yeah. OK, tell us how, the, how this all started. Explain well, how this all started.
all started? It started maybe, um, I suppose, about two years ago. We were visiting the kid's granddad in the Scottish borders, and he lives in a lovely little village. And my son, Jimmy, he found a rock, and then we turned it over, and it said, find, post, pick on Facebook and rehide. So we looked it up, and, you know, there was a Facebook page existed. And then after that, I kind of looked further into it, and I figured out that there was, um, like, an existing initiative um, that started in the US and it's called Kindness Rocks. And um, the, our granddad said, you know, you have to start this in Kinsale, you just got to do it. So it did take us about a year to get it together. And then last year we put out the first rocks. Um, now it didn't really take off, to be honest, because we put them in parks and, you know, I, I don't know, it just, it just didn't happen. So in about January or February, we decided we're going to do this again, but we're going to put them like on businesses, windowsills and put them around the town of Kinsale. And that's when it really started to get noticed then. Because people then started talking about yeah. them, saying, where are these coming from? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I suppose when the kids finished school that weekend, which would have been around the kind of 14th of March, um, I just said, look, you know, I'm in the restaurant business. It was inevitable that that was going to close. We were going to have all this time on our hands. And I just said, OK, let's go. We're going to the beach. And I literally filled the boot <laughs> with rocks. And you need, it's really, it's just flat rocks, isn't it? Is, yeah, are the ideal like ones. smooth rocks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we really, we collected a couple of hundred of them. We put them into the car. And that was when my kitchen turned into like a rock making painting <laughs> factory. But say this one has the R and an eye on it. Yeah, so really the name of the game is to make people smile, but it's also that it kind of snowballs. So you start it and then other people start painting. So, you know, um, and that's what's after happening here in Kinsale is there's like dozens of people painting now, each painting, you know, their own style of rock. So the, the, the R and eye one, is that one of yours? That's not our one. There's oh. somebody painting the R and eye ones. Isn't um, that fantastic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, everybody's kind of jumping on board, I suppose. Uh, you know, one of the nicest things is when the darkness into light um, for you know, House. didn't happen. There was a lot of people, you know, put messages of hope um, onto rocks and planted them around the town. And that was nice to see. Um, you know, and as well, a lot of us, you know, we saw businesses, doors were shut and people were putting messages of encouragement for people, you know, that, that their doors were shut. You know, us ourselves, you know, when we drove down through the town, it was sad to see, um, and we we painted loads of flowers on rocks, and we put them outside the flower shop just along their windowsill, you know. And it's just encouragement and support, really, for businesses to uh, open back up again. And it's you know the basic thing, you know, st- you know, stay firm, hang in there. Yeah, we're going to get through absolutely, this. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and as Sadie said, there are people, you know, even that don't suffer with mental health illnesses, were feeling down, were feeling anxious, you know, uncertain. And these were making people smile. They were giving people hope. Where do you get your inspirational quotes from? Uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, to be honest with you, um, I love quotes. I love proverbs. And I get that from my mom. Like she, like she always had a little book and she used to write all her little sayings and proverbs and stuff into it. So I love that kind of thing anyway. So that's, that's where that came from.
And for Sadie now, does Sadie hang on to this rock? Or should well, she's t- supposed to rehide it. Okay, um, yeah, will, you, will okay. you do that, Sadie? Yeah, that's what yeah. I was planning on doing. I thought yeah. it was such a beautiful idea. Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Go, and, go and rehide it somewhere. Yeah. And it would be lovely, Maeve, if other areas picked up oh, on absolutely. this. Absolutely, like that's the idea, is that it does, it does, you know, catch on. And, you know, every town and village uh, can do this. This is, you know, it's not something we came up with. It was just something we started in Kinsale. And we've enjoyed every minute of it. And we will continue to do it through the summer, especially, um, yeah, while we have the time. And you're on Facebook and Insta under Instagram under well. under Kinsale Rocks. And, yeah. the, and it's it's nice for people to, to share when they find some of these oh, rocks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. I love I, every night I sit down and I go through all, you know, the rocks that have been found and I move them from one page to another. And yeah, it's great. That's oh, brilliant. Great. It's, it's, really, it's really good. Well, as I say, put, put a smile on our Sadie's face. She's still yeah. here beaming and smiling <laughs> and, and Sadie have you mentioned it to friends of yours has anybody else ever found one of these rocks or? nobody that no. I no, no. Uh, but I said it to the girls I live with and they were all like oh what a lovely idea yeah it's it's terrific you'll have to start painting yourself yeah. you will you will Sadie and <laughs> she's go collecting now the yeah, long weekend yeah, yeah and it is and it whiles away a few hours doesn't it maybe you, yeah, a few hours would be gone before you'd even know it absolutely yeah. it's brilliant I find it really relaxing myself I love painting the rocks but they have to be varnished really to stand yeah. the weather you know they do they won't last otherwise no. when do you expect Expect to be back in the restaurant business. Well, Maeve. we're just back in on the weekends now. The last three weekends doing takeaways. How's it and, going? You know, it's just to get our foot back in the door, really. You know, and kind of get the feel of the way things are going to be. Um, but yeah, I suppose the 29th of June. But things will be different, all right. You know, but will you size how many? If, if there's still confusion about the two meter rule, yeah, the one meter rule. It hasn't really been decided. Um, I'm hoping it'll be reduced, you know. I mean, if you look, I mean, we're lucky enough, we have two sides. We have a bar side and a, and a restaurant side and, and both qu- quite big. But, it, you know, the smaller restaurants are never going to be able to survive. Uh, well, it's not financially viable for no, them to open, not. yeah. No, no yeah. absolutely not. And how's the takeaway going? Um, It's do, it's doing really well, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a, to, it's like being in a new job, you know. It's just, yeah, it's, but, you know, we're getting a bit of a buzz out of it. We like it, but... You know, as I say, it's just to get back in and, and get used to, the, you know, we would probably will continue with the takeaways. All right, that's the way it'll have to be. So we've no choice. OK, it gives you time yeah. time out from painting your rocks yeah, to do yeah, something yeah. different. <laughs> Listen, Maeve, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Well done to you and the rest Thank of the family. You. It's a terrific initiative. Long may it continue. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks a million, Patricia. Bye-bye. 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 That is uh, Maeve Edwards joining us from Consent. And our own Sadie will let you back to the phones. Thank you for that. Somebody wants to know when boxing reopens because they want, can't wait to see Katie Taylor. I'm a big boxing fan. When can I see Katie Taylor back boxing again? I love my boxing, says this texter. Missing it the most. It's the 10th of August. It's at the very last stage when boxing reopens. Keep your gardening questions coming for Peter Dowdle. He'll join us after half past 12. Going to take a break. News at 12 midday and we'll catch up to your calls and comments. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie The impact of COVID-19 on our economy and employment has been sudden and will be enormous. The Irish government recently announced new and unprecedented measures to assist those who have already experienced job loss as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and to protect those who are still in employment. If you work in essential health, social care or other essential services and cannot work from home, you can work and travel to work. In all other situations, employees must work from home. In some cases, it will not be possible to work from home. Your employer can 
and continue to pay you under the temporary COVID-19 wage subsidy scheme while you are temporarily laid off from work or working fewer hours. Or you may be able to apply for a social welfare payment like the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment. For more information, request a callback from the Citizens Information Service. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I give a mention and to say belated happy birthday to a man who's making the papers today. He's a, a Limerick gentleman by the name of Sean O'Connell who yesterday celebrated his 100th birthday and there's gorgeous photographs that's on the papers today of Sean along with his wife Chris and they both look so fresh. He in particular for 100 years of age outside their home. They're, they're, they're living in uh, Maiden Street in Newcastle West and he was there with his wife. His family gathered all social distancing obviously outside to wish him a happy birthday and they had the big one you know the, the foil balloons 100 the 100 and you can see banners up saying happy 100th birthday and he's holding something in his hand that I imagine is probably the telegram is it? it's not a telegram the letter that you get from the president that comes with a nice little uh, checkbook. I tell you, he's a fresh looking man for 100. And there, the, he spent his life working as a slitter and a harness maker. Uh, he's described as being very close to his nieces and, and nephews, uh, seven of whom celebrated with him on his birthday yesterday. And one of his nephews, I'm assuming he doesn't have any children. They're just mentioning his nieces and nephews in this piece uh, by Eva Walsh in, in the paper today. His nephew is actually the TD, the Limerick TD, Patrick O'Donovan and Patrick said that the whole family had planned a big party for him but obviously because of COVID-19 it couldn't go ahead so they wanted to do something just to mark it no doubt when, when everything is you know, everything is over, over and done with they will have that big party but they just wanted to acknowledge uh, the day yesterday but when you think about it this man was born Sean was born in um, 20 he, this is, he's celebrating his 100th birthday 2020 so he's born in 1920 he would have lived through every president and Taoiseach in this uh, country he was only 19 at the start of the Second World War he would have lived through the middle of the emergency he was born pre the independence of this uh, state so he would have gone through the emergency which had food rationing and all of that and obviously he's now living through COVID-19 but just a great uh, photograph uh, of him so happy birthday to Sean O'Connell 100 in uh, Newcastle West and to his and what age his wife Chris looks but the both of them they're looking very very uh, fresh indeed Okay thank you for your questions coming in for Peter Dowdrum he'll answer those uh, later on in this hour but let me take a look at some other comments uh, coming in. Uh, Michael says, Hi Patricia, whoever heads up the next government could have a much bigger headache than the present one in the sense of the consequences of the lockdown. How many people have been affected by the lockdown? How many people died because they hadn't gone and sought help for say something like a heart attack and I know stroke has been mentioned as well. How many people are going to die because they didn't have their cancer treatment? How many more people are not having many other necessary treatments? How many people are suffering very serious consequences because of the financial hit to their lives as we know it. The consequences of the lockdown rather than the consequence of the virus are really going to sting, thanking you.
you and that's from uh, Michael in Castletown Bear. Thank you for that uh, Michael. Also coming into us by uh, text in between gardening questions. Thank you for that. Fergus O'Dowd who we mentioned the deputy who had a, a real go about the nursing homes yesterday. Tim said Fergus O'Dowd also made a great plea for community care at the Oireachtas committee meeting yesterday and it's an issue says Tim that's often highlighted on C103. His plea was for nurses to be deployed into the community, visiting people in their homes once or twice a week or more often if the home help or a relative sees the need to have something checked and then that nurse could alert the GP if necessary. It certainly would help people living in the community and to live better lives in the community. And I know people say, should only have public health nurses? But I think what Fergus O'Dowd uh, was intimating is that we need more. If it is under the guise of the public health nurse, then we need more of them and to make sure that everyone has been checked on. I mean, a public health nurse wouldn't be checking on all homes once or twice uh, a week. So the care in the community, and that isn't slant to care that we've heard so much about isn't that what that's all about care in the community Christine in Cork says I miss the cafes I miss the theatre and I miss the arts festival I'm really in limbo without them uh, says uh, Christine I know there is a push by the uh, Cinema Association to try to get back up and running earlier than what is predicted. I think they're down for the 20th of July as well. And cinemas and theatres really can do social distancing because they can space people out. Now, I know they'd only be, if you spaced everybody out every second seat, you're only going to be able to get put half the bums on seats. So there would be a cost factor involved, whether it mean those who are attending would have to pay more uh, or not. Uh, but certainly there is a push. And I imagine if cinemas get the nod to open up then the nod will be given to theatres and will that lead to art festivals? Only time uh, will uh, tell, uh, Christine. The one thing I've discovered, I, I don't know if you're into sort of musical theatre, so the things that the shows that are in Broadway and in the West End, the Andrew Lloyd Webber type shows. I discovered um, YouTube that every week they stream and they'll show for 48 hours some of the classic uh, shows that over the years for example last weekend I I watched a fantastic version of the Sound of Music and it's streamed on I think it's called The Show Must Go On on YouTube and it's from 7 o'clock on Friday until 7 o'clock on Sunday you've got access to it uh, free of charge there's been Jesus Christ Superstar was on I think that was on around uh, Easter Uh, and it's just wonderful to see those live shows and then I came across it was on the Sky Arts uh, platform it was the 25th anniversary show of Miss Saigon and it's just and you look at those shows and think oh will I ever get back to the day that I'll be able to go and see those shows uh, again I, I absolutely adore them so if that's of any use to you Christine check that out on YouTube the show uh, must go on and then another listener says hi Patricia would you know when chiropodists and chiropractors are going to reopen I'm in agony with corns and I need a job done. I also have a problem with my discs and I need to see a chiropractor. Well, I know with chiropodists, and I'm assuming it's the same with chiropractors, if you contact the person who you normally attend and if it's an emergency, they'll see you on an emergency appointment. So, do, you know, then I hate to hear of anybody that's in agony. And if you're in agony with corns, then you're not walking properly or anything. So, you know, won't be getting your exercise in. So I'd put a call through, certainly, to the chiropodist and, you know, plead your case. And they may be able to fit you in on an emergency appointment because certainly we've we've heard about that 
since the lockdown has uh, started and I imagine it's probably the same for the chiropractor so if you give your chiropractor uh, a shout as well. Somebody earlier on was complaining about health workers, nurses in particular in home helps going around in their uniforms into supermarkets and could that not be spreading COVID-19? Someone says as a health worker we're not allowed to wear uniforms to or from work and it is for health and safety reason, reasons. It is concerning that some home helps and some nursing professions continue to wear their uniforms while heading into shops etc. This isn't best practice in other countries and it shouldn't be happening here either says this uh, texture. And then a listener is picking up on the piece when I mentioned about the Catholic bishops are pushing for an earlier resumption of public mass at the moment it's down for July the 20th and I mentioned that at the beginning of next month the bishops are going to hold an, o- an online conference and it's to consider extending the current suspension of the Sunday obligation to attend mass but they're also going to consider extending the banning of the sign of peace and the use of holy water well that's prompted somebody to get very angry it says the priests can go to hell this is the quote from this texter. If they think the laity are going to go back shaking hands, lives have been lost. Wise up. It is much more important to save lives by refraining from such practices. God give us patience with stupidity and lack of sense. They'll probably have a conference to discuss if we the laity have brains of our own given to us by God. Do some of us who choose to use without any meetings or consultations will refrain from childish changes, gestures like shaking hands in the middle of a pandemic at a time when a killer virus is far from gone and we don't want to encourage it back. Cop on Catholic hierarchy. God gave us conscience to do our own will and that's what some of us will be doing. Well I imagine the bishops are going to come back and say absolutely there will be an extension when masses are back up and running. We won't be shaking hands. God knows when we'll ever go get to shake hands with anybody again certainly not until there is a vaccine for sure. Pat says morning Patricia please bring the barber back. Bring them back for God's sake. We all look like wolves says Pat. Uh, Barber shops and hairdressing salons yeah I I can't wait for a trip to the hairdresser I can tell you that and there's uh, there's, there's a lot of us all feel the same way and the rush to get into a hairdresser or a barber in the early days is going to be Quite frantic indeed, I imagine, Pat. So there's a lot of people with you on that one. I don't know if you live with anyone who might be good with the scissors and be able to give you a little bit of a trim. There there are YouTube tutorials on cutting your own hair. <laughs> That's a brave thing. I've been doing a bit of that. I've been doing a bit of clipping myself, <laughs> cutting my own hair. Uh, I get a bit panicky at times when I do it. Then I kind of regret it afterwards and then I'm trying to fix it. So do be careful if you, if you go down that route. What I did was, though, I bought, I went to the chemist shop and I bought a good set of hair scissors, particularly for fringe cutting and things like that that's the one thing I will say don't take the scissors out of the kitchen drawer you need good hairdressing scissors and you can get them quite reasonably inside in your local chemist if you want to attempt to cut your own hair or get a loved one to do it for you uh, Pat and some priests worthy of a mention I mentioned Father Francis Manning earlier on was, and somebody picked up on when I mentioned his name Jim in Balancholics this morning Patricia Father Francis Manning is a true gentleman I remember him when he was in McCroom from Jim in Balancholic thanks Jim and Father Keneally in Boherbui. His Mass is streamed every evening at half past seven and it's preceded by the Rosary at ten past seven. This text says, would you believe it is watched in 53 countries? Isn't that amazing? That's the one thing that people are doing when they go online. I mean, it's lovely to hear and see Mass from your own church. But many people are going 
around different churches around uh, Ireland. I know, for example, I've had a number of people contact me to say um, I was uh, raised in, in Clonmel and my parish church is a church called St. Peter and Paul's where it's where I would have been christened, made my first sort of communion and made my uh, confirmation. And they they've been online for quite some time and a number of people have contacted me to say I was I was watching Mass this morning and it was from your parish church of St. Peter and Paul so I mean it is a nice thing to do and I know I have another uh, family member who has taken to watching the Pope saying Mass online from Rome and I said how's that going for you? She said I can't understand a word but she said it's great <laughs> so if you, if, if you want to do that as well you don't have to go but it is, there is something nice about your own local church as well. We were talking about uh, cyclists yesterday day uh, and we in particular had the story, frightening story I have to say from Councillor Marcia Dalton who was talking about her little 10 year old boy Olin and how a car came so close to the little lad, he's only a 10 year old and you now she was cycling around the corner so she missed it he'd gone up ahead of her on the, on the road and had gone around the corner so then when she came around the corner she found him crying and, and on the ground, bless his heart, luckily he had his helmet on and all of that but they, a car either clipped him or just came so close that it frightened him him and he ended up you know skimming up against the curb and coming off the bike but he got a real real fright and you know she joined us yesterday and we did a piece about people just we need to try and share the road with everybody and motorists need to be aware that we've got lovely weather as well but during this lockdown more I know the children are off school but more and more families are taking up exercise people are going out jogging so you'll have joggers out on the road uh, people are certainly out on their bicycles and people are also out walking and because people have been very good about the two metre social distancing rule the amount of times you'll be driving along and somebody will step off the footpath so as to give two metres to a person coming against them but the pedestrians need as well to be aware of cars on the road we all have to bring our A-game really when we're out cycling, walking, jogging or driving. Um, Eileen on email to Patricia at C103.ie says, uh, Trish, when you're discussing these uh, cyclists, could you mention cyclists and pedestrians? They also have rules of the road to adhere to. Uh, everybody seems to think that the roads are for them alone and that the cars are only a nuisance. So everybody, that's exactly my point, Eileen, everyone has a role to play. And hi, Patricia. The fella yesterday, Mark, who contacted the programme, the cyclist, and he was given out about motorists, etc. He must be another one of those people who actually think they, as cyclists, own the road. I was driving from Formoy to Rathcormac last week and three cyclists would not pull in and cycle in single file. I was not able to pass them. So by the time we did get to Rathcormac, there was 26 cars behind the cyclist. What a laugh, says Martin in Formoy and that gets people very frustrated and I think when cyclists don't go in single line, that to me is what can cause people then to get get frustrated and get cross, get angry, a little bit of road rage kicks in and then people start doing stupid things trying to overtake and that's just an accident waiting to happen. So please, everybody, Deep breath. And remember, we all have to share the road and the footpaths uh, together. And Mary was on, wants me to mention about gloves and disposable gloves and gloves being dumped. And it's one of the things that certainly we have seen since uh, lockdown. We have seen an increase in people dumping their gloves. Now, in some shops and businesses, when you go in, they'll give you the disposable gloves. In others, people bring their own disposable gloves uh, with them. Either which way, either the business gives them to you or you bring them with you yourself. Will you please dispose of the gloves 
responsibly. That means bringing them home. Even if it's your, you're going back into your car, see a lot of people using gloves in the supermarket. That's fine. When you go back into the car and you take the gloves off in the car, just put them aside and wait until you get home and put them in the bin. But this idea of either tossing them out a window or just dumping them on the side of the road, it really has to stop because they're they're latex as well. So they're, they're not biodegradable. What they're doing to the environment is just uh, shocking. And now Mary says that she lives in an area where there's a nursing home near, nearby but there's also shops. So I don't know who is she intimating that they're coming out of the nursing home, people coming out of the nursing home or is it from the shops? Or is she just saying she's not sure where they're coming from? But she says she has noticed an increase in the amount of these disposable uh, gloves. She said it's ended up in her own hedging. She's seen some just been thrown on the footpath outside her home. Others, she said, could have been just blowing into her garden. She's also convinced that some people are throwing them out at car windows. But Mary's big problem is that she's cocooning at the moment. She's doing everything right. She's trying to protect herself and mind herself. So she said, the last thing I need to do when I'm cocooning is to pick up the virus from some of these gloves because obviously she's going out to try and tidy up her garden when she sees these gloves in the garden and ending up in her hedge. The only thing I will say to you, Mary, is make sure you're wearing gloves when you're picking up those gloves or if you pick them up with just your hand without a glove on, just make sure that you wash your hands. That 20 second rule when you come in after picking up those uh, gloves because you, you just you're right you just don't know what is on any of those gloves and to everybody else please dispose of if you're going to use those gloves dispose of them and please dispose of them correctly 1850 333 103 and just one final comment in from uh, Kate and this is to do with funerals and this call we had it last week firstly from the Irish Hospice Foundation that the restrictions when we're easing of the restrictions that the government needs to look at increasing the number of people that can attend a funeral. At the moment it's 10 and it is causing further distress to bereaved families and there are some families actually ending up in arguments as to who can go to the funeral and who can't and it's kind of a needless you know, there's enough going on when you've lost a loved one without having to worry about who can go to the funeral and who can't and Cork County Council are backing up the Irish Hospice Foundation and they've actually written to the Taoiseach to say, look, can you consider opening up funerals? We're not talking about going back to the wonderful big funerals that we've always had in this country, but just allowing close family members, not putting a set number on it, but just allowing close family members. And I really don't think anybody would abuse it. I think neighbours and friends are being very understanding about funerals and they don't go anywhere near it. They might do as Councillor Joe Carroll was saying, they might stand out of the crossroads and they might line a road, social distancing, just to acknowledge and to remember the person who's passed away and to show support to the family members as well. But I haven't heard of anybody, you know, outsiders, friends or neighbours trying to, you know, trying to rush into the church to get into the funeral etc. So I think people would abide uh, by it. But Kate's family have had two funerals uh, during the COVID-19 uh, lockdown and she actually has a different view on it. She feels both funerals were very dignified. She also says, you know, when they didn't have people coming in sympathising and the removal and all of that, she said it actually worked in their favour. There was none of this rushing in and out, shaking hands. She said the children of the family were actually glad they didn't feel the pressure of having to go to the funeral. My own daughter got the virus for a full month and we thought, says Kate, we were going to lose her. She's a doctor and she thinks that the country should stay closed until at least the 1st of June 
well the 1st of June is this weekend I wanted to meet the 1st of July she said it's easy for everybody else to say to reopen but we need to wait until we are free of this virus if they witness somebody in their own family with this horrific disease then people who are shouting for it for the country to reopen or people who are shouting for various various services to re- reopen might uh, think again thank you for that Kate by, and by God you've been you've been through it you've been through it you've lost two members and then to have your own daughter uh, come down with it as well but uh, your point about the it was a very dignified funeral I did hear another family talk about it was their mother had died and it was I think there was five siblings so they didn't have to have a big discussion about who could go and who couldn't go and they decided to limit it just to the five of them. And and I heard this woman say that it was lovely in that they all sat around in her back garden, social distancing afterwards and she said they were able to spend time together as that little family unit because she was, you know, conscious that when, you know, now the man was gone, they'd never all be together like that again. There was that fear that everyone went because they were from different parts of the country. But she said it was lovely to sit and to reminisce and to talk about their mother and she felt that if they'd had the large funeral that they would have expected to have because their mother was very, very well known she reckons they wouldn't have had that time and she said they just had these gorgeous few hours together. So, you know when we look back when we come out of COVID-19 and we look out at what we did right and what we did wrong we might learn, there might be some some things we can learn from this some new practices uh, we can learn going forward but I suppose only time will tell. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and don't forget we're looking for your gardening questions. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Paul Meskel, who plays the part of Connell Waldron in the TV series Normal People. There's only the next week is the last week, by the way, if you're following Normal People. He has donated the chain that he wears around his neck in the show that everybody's talking about. I think there's even uh, a a Twitter handle, I think, dedicated to the chain. Anyway, he's decided to donate it by way of a raffle for Pieta House. Uh, It's starting at €10 and for €10 you get 10 entries to the draw. The tickets are on sale as we speak up to and including Monday the 8th of June. And you can log on to the diary section of our website at www.c103.ie and follow the link for a go rallyup.com chain for Pieta and uh, the raffle then will take place on Monday the 8th of June at 3 o'clock in the afternoon so if you'd like a chance to win Connell's chain from normal people and for Pieta House it's a fantastic worthwhile uh, cause Barry Roji AA and Camogie Club are fundraising for Marymount Hospice on next Sunday with a parish pocketon great fun to be had for everyone to take part you can register through the club's website which is barryrowgaa.ie and the Mallow Charlever branch of the Irish Red Cross they are fundraising over this June bank holiday weekend to enable them to continue to run their ambulance service for the coming year you can donate on their GoFundMe page Uh, the link is on our C103 web page on our uh, Cork Diary section uh, as well Cork Today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie it's time to Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. 
they should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. Fans of McDonald's will be delighted to hear. I've just been told that all McDonald's drive throughs will be open from Thursday the 4th of uh, June. Between Tuesday and Thursday next week, an additional 51 restaurants will open their doors. That's a bit of, conf- I, I don't quite understand that. Thursday, all the drive throughs are opening. Uh, and between Tuesday and Thursday of next week, an additional 51 restaurants will open their doors. Now, can I get clarification on that as to, is it, is it, is it, Tuesday they're opening or Thursday they're open I'm, I'm unsure okay let me get clarification but anyway the good news is the drive throughs it looks like the drive throughs to McDonald's because we saw a few of them opened in Dublin and there was a massive amount of people uh, turned out to go through the drive through so I'll just get clarification on when the Cork ones are, are opening on Mass here's an interesting one from Michael says Patricia I don't see any reason why the annual Mass at the cemeteries can't be uh, held surely social distancing could be very safe there's plenty of room yeah you could just ask people to all stand at their own grave yeah yeah why not why not? I suppose it will again. That's probably something that individual priests in individual parishes would have to decide on. But I couldn't. I think you've got a valid point, Michael. I couldn't see any reason why I couldn't go ahead either. On cyclists, hi Patricia. And cyclists and walkers, I'm a motorist. I would beg those people who are using headphones while out cycling to please turn them off or turn down the sound. They're totally unaware of vehicles coming up behind. It is a recipe for disaster. Turn the sound down, please. And Patricia, people not walking in a parallel line forcing others onto the road, joggers, etc., two by two, and then cyclists up on footpaths, people outside chippers, all standing around on narrow streets. Yeah, we're back again to we all have to share the space, share the road, share the footpath. Everybody has to share it uh, together. And I think that's what we're we're doing wrong. We just all need to take a bit of a breath and, and everybody share and everybody help everybody else out. And by doing that, we will all get through it. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Let me take a break because Peter Dowdrell, the Irish gardener, is going to join us on the programme. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Mallow College. Now in... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. A link for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And the McDonald's uh, restaurants, uh, every drive through restaurant in the country will be reopened by next Thursday. They're starting to open them on, uh, well, that's, uh, yeah, Thursday, the 4th of June. They're starting to open them on Tuesday and then by Thursday they'll all be reopened. So uh, all, all 51 that has a drive through. So you're going to need to check locally with your store, with your McDonald's to find out which day. But by next Thursday of next week, they all will have reopened. OK, uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener, Com joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Peter. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Good afternoon to you. Yes. Okay. Perfect. How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm very good. Well, I'm very good, but I'm a bit sad from a gardening point of view. Why? I have a gorgeous laburnum in my front garden that got blown over the other day. It's there 16 years. It was actually Marsha's christening tree. And I had a tree expert came in yesterday and the news is bad. Can't be saved. It's too shadow rooted or something. Peter's gone missing on me. Just when I was looking for advice. OK, we're having a problem here with our connection uh, to uh, Peter. It could be we may need to put him onto the phone, uh, John Paul, because we have him over a what over. It, it could just be the internet is uh, down just when he was about to have sympathy with me for my laburnum tree. And, and thank you to people who've been asking me when they heard, because I mentioned this tree on uh, Monday, but yeah, it unfortunately can't be saved. I had been hoping that it could be saved, but uh, it it can't be saved. So uh, we have to get rid of it, unfortunately. OK, he's on the he's on the phone line, I'm told. Peter, you're on the old traditional phone. Yes, we're back to old fashioned. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so my my tree it 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 blew went over all. It, it's not quite flat on the ground, but it isn't far off it. So I got a tree expert in to take a look at it, but it can't be saved. No, and it it's it is it's a shallow rooted tree, the the laburnum, and they get top heavy. And while it's always very sad to lose a tree, particularly when it, when it has such meaning as as that does for you, yeah, it's sad. But unfortunately, you look, you can plant another one to to, to commemorate yeah. her, her, her. And you, and you know something, it was my own fault because it was glorious this year and I knew I was thinking I really have to top it after this year I wanted just to get this big blue and it was magnificent I mean it just used to fill my heart with joy every time I drove home to look at it it was was glorious but listen yeah we'll replace it with with something else Uh, and I did all the right thing got the tree expert in to take a look at it Okay, let's get straight into uh, questions Alma says I received and she sent on a picture which we've sent on to uh, Peter I received this lovely lily as a present recently 
recently. It seems to be weeping from the leaves and the flowers. I was just wondering, is there something I should be doing to the plant? It looks like a kind of a St. Anthony's lily, is it? Well, it is. It's an arum lily or an indoor arum lily. It's a black flowering one. They're quite striking, aren't they? They're, they're stunning. Um, I, can't, I couldn't really see the picture too much that was going wrong with it, but they, they can weep. They're, they're, they're grown indoors. They're normally Dutch, um, so they are kind of, they come from an artificial environment, if you like. So in other words, they're grown indoors in a protected environment. They come in refrigerated transport and you buy them then in a garden centre or a shopping centre indoors. Um, and, and and she has it indoors at home, and that's fine, but it's just it's just going from a very controlled environment to a less controlled environment, or less, less than what it's used to. So uh, climate, climatic conditions like that can have an effect on them. But the general kind of guidelines for it, it I'm sure it'll be fine. I do think it'll be fine from looking at it. The general guidelines, are they, they do like to be kept quite damp, but not waterlogged during this period of, of when they're in full growth flowering and and in full leaf. So, so keep them well watered at the moment and stand them into a bowl of water uh, and let them absorb whatever water they need for about half an hour or even an hour as opposed to watering them from the top down because watering them from the top down, the water will collect in the flower and in the leaves and that could lead to fungal problems. But also the, just the physical action of watering it from above could push the, the flower stems and the leaves down. So stand it into a bowl of water and water it from below. Uh, in time then, but I would expect that you still get a good few weeks out of it, in time, the flowers will begin to wither and the leaves will begin to wither. And don't worry about that. That is 100% natural. That's what plants do, plants like that do. It will die back for... If you had them growing outside, that will happen in the autumn, winter. But as I say, because they've been grown kind of in artificial conditions, um, they could die back much earlier. But then next year, they'll come on at the normal time. Uh, so a bit of information there, but hopefully that's clear enough. Okay, Eileen in Clonakilty says, advice please from Peter. How do you separate oriental lily bulbs? Mine are about to come into bloom, but there seems there seem to be a lot there this year. Are they like daffodil bulbs? Can you separate them? Absolutely correct. Exactly the same as the daffodils. Uh, a bulb is a bulb, as the fellow says. Um, so they're kind of swollen leaf stems is what they are technically. Uh, so or sorry, the base, leaf bases and stem bases. So you, you just literally pull them apart. Absolutely not at the moment because they are actively growing and coming into full leaf and full flower. My owner hopefully going to be opening up in the next couple of weeks because I, I adore them, the scent and everything from them. Um, but once the foliage has died back and once the flower has died back, and again, that's just like the, the calla lily we were talking about a minute ago, uh, once, once the, the flower and the foliage die back, then they're hibernating, if you like, for the winter. That's when you lift them out of the ground, divide them, so literally just pull each bulb apart uh, and plant them out again then very early next next spring, late late winter, early spring next year. And Mary in came says her rhododendron buds seem to have been damaged in the frost that we had a couple of weeks ago. Can I do anything to rescue the bul- bulbs, buds? The short answer, unfortunately, is no. No, once they're damaged. No. And also the leaves on her beech tree got burnt in the frost. And That'll be fine. They'll grow out of it. No, no, no action needed. Any frost damage, I've seen a lot of it on social media over the last couple of weeks, people sending in photographs to the Irish Gardener of, of uh, foliage and plants black and brown. But that's all frost damage. Don't worry. Uh, the temperatures are increasing nicely now. Uh, it'll grow through it, it'll grow out of it. The thing is, with rhododendrons and camellias, those buds are on the flowers since last July, August, for opening up this spring. So there's nothing you can do now to get new buds for this year. So that's why it's so important of where you position them, that they're not, uh, they're sheltered from frost and sheltered from the early morning sun, which just burns the buds before they open. Now, there is another thing that it could be, it probably was frost, probably right, but they will tolerate a lot of frost. It 
could also be if they're very black in colour, it could be a thing uh, which is a fungal problem called rhododendron bud burst uh, or bud blast. Um, so you'd want to, I'd want to have a look at that to be sure. But if it, either if, if if it is bud blast, it'll happen again. But there is action you can take if it's frost. Really, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, it. and it's interesting because Mary's in Kiss Game. Look, we had a very hard frost in North Cork. I know the one she's talking about because uh, I remember talking to you about it and you were saying you hadn't had frost in the city. Yeah. We had a very hard frost in in. No, I was deicing my car and everything for two, for two mornings. So the, 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 we, we, we were in virtual Mediterranean absolutely. conditions here down uh, in the city. Uh, not, not, not like the glorious weather we're having today and, and oh, tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's watering is going to be an issue, I think, over the next few days. Um, OK, Avril has two laburnums uh, growing on either side of her drive. Always flower. One, she says, is in full bloom, but the other has very few flowers on it this year. Why would one uh, bloom and the Av- other not? Avril's only doing that now to make you I know, jealous. yeah. When I yeah. saw it, I went, oh. Every time a question comes in about laburnums. I'm, um, I'm going to say, did you feed it in March? Because I always mark it on my calendar, feed the laburnum in March. And that's pretty much the, the, the simple answer. And feed it with a good quality tomato food. That's exactly but, what I do. Yeah, such as the nature did. safe tomato food or, or even a good sulfate of potash. But the nature safe tomato food is an excellent one. It's an Irish product. It's, it's, it's got added seaweed. With, that's probably what I would feed them with. Maybe a small bit of pruning. Uh, you could prune them kind of October time. I wouldn't go heavy on the pruning, but maybe a small bit of pruning just to thin it out a bit uh, and feed it, absolutely feed it in March and hopefully that will drive it on. The fact that one is flowering and one isn't means I imagine it's a nutrient issue. It's just a pocket of, of an area where it's lower in the potassium than, than the other one. Okay, Ger in Newmarket says, Hi Trish and Peter, I just bought a new lawnmower that comes with a mulcher. Would mulching help on a poor lawn that needs seeding and weeding? It's not a very large area. Uh, there is what I would describe as a patchy lawn there already. I would say yes, is the short answer. Now, what a mulching mower is, or what mulching in a lawnmower situation means, Trish, is that if you can imagine a normal um, lawnmower, uh, it cuts the grass once and it flexes it into a box or it leaves it behind one or the other. With the mulching mower, it actually, the blade ends up getting cut about five or six times. So it literally just it doesn't get collected at all. You leave it behind, but it's actually nearly dust by the time it lands on the ground. And that actually breaks down very, very quickly into a good uh, soil conditioner for the ground beneath. So yes, the, the short answer is yes, I, w- I would think it would be good for the lawn. The, the only reason I'm hesitating is if we got if we were guaranteed six or eight months of this weather, mulching mowers are absolutely brilliant. We don't get six or eight months of this weather, unfortunately, so a lot of our weeks are wet and damp. Mulching mowers don't work particularly well when the grass is wet, and particularly if the grass is too long. So using a mulching mower correctly is very, very good for the lawn, but you do have to be diligent. You have to cut it every week. You have to try and make sure it's as dry as possible when you do it, but do do it every week, and then yes, I would say... But the advantage is you're not emptying the box. Well, you're not emptying and you're, yeah. you're, re- you're removing a waste product, if you like, because you're adding it back to the soil, which yeah, is what we all should be doing, yeah. Uh, Mary says, I've two pots of winter pansies by my door. I want to put in trailing petunias instead. If I move the pansies, will they still flower? Because they still look very healthy. They most likely will. I mean, if they look very healthy, yes. And, and pansies actually, they're, what they're referred to nowadays as universal pansies. And what that means is they flower actually for nearly 12 months of the year. And they're hardy little things. And they're gorgeous. Yeah. The little faces on them are gorgeous. We don't actually have summer and winter pansies anymore. It just really depends on the time of year that they've been grown for sale. Um, so if you plant them out, if they're looking healthy, plant them into another pot or into the ground, they should flower away. Yeah, no reason why not. They are really grown as a temporary kind of annual plant for either one season, for either winter or, or summer. But there's no reason to say that they wouldn't flower away for the rest of the year. 
Hi, Peter. Why are some of the leaves on one side of my apple trees curling and they have a grey dust or a mould? There are still lots of little apples forming, though. The grey dust or mould could well be mildew uh, or it could be... Again, what I was seeing, it, it's difficult to say. It could be a thing called woolly aphid, which can look like a grey dust, but it's actually a little aphid, and that would tie in more with the, the leaves curling. Uh, leaves will curl in, a, in an apple tree like that when there's aphids, and the aphids feed often on the underside, normally on the under, underside of the leaf, where they feed on the, the leaf veins. And if you can imagine, that's stopping the, the water to, to hold, getting getting to the entire leaf to hold it out flat, so it begins to curl up. That's because the, the aphids are feeding on those veins, and there's they're crunching it up. So it's most likely an aphid. It could be the woolly aphid, as I say, uh, or it could be a mixture of you have a bit of powdery mildew, which is coincidental to the fact that you have an aphid, aphid causing it to curl up. OK, here's an interesting one from John in Blackpool to say, uh, could you ask Peter, please? I have a small black yard. I don't, it doesn't get much sunshine, but my passion is I'd love to be able to grow strawberries. Any advice and would it be possible? Move house. <laughs> <laughs> They you like need sunshine, sun. yeah. They do, they like full sun, I'm afraid. But yeah, I mean, without being, without being facetious, they do like full sun, but they are very possible to grow in a small garden because you can grow them in pots. So you can even grow them in, you can imagine getting a, a, a piece of plastic wabbin piping and just cut holes in it, fill it with compost, the pipe, put a stopper on either end, if you like, and then cut holes along the pipe and, and put your, your strawberry plants into it. And then you can hang that off a fence or a wall or anything. And it's a great way to grow them in a small space and keep them clean. Um, but, but yes, they, they do need full sun, I'm afraid. OK, could you ask, Peter, what's the best feed for a hedge? I planted it about two months ago, but it doesn't seem to be doing too well. Water is the most important thing for something that is that fresh in the ground. It's water, 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 particularly if you plant them bare root. In other words, if they had no pots two months ago. Uh, so water is the most, most important thing. But I would also feed it at the moment, coming into the growing season or well into the growing season. And again, I'd go back to the organic, nature-safe product that I was talking about. They do a general Atlantic seaweed liquid feed, and it's by far and away the best feed give for a kind of general boost to overall plant vigor. It, it really is something that I, I would use at why I'm using at the moment. That's what I would use on, on a freshly planted hedge, definitely, the nature-safe Atlantic seaweed feed. Hi, Peter. Could you, uh, hi, Patricia, could you ask Peter? A wisteria planted about four years ago. It's never flowered. Plenty of healthy leaves, but no flower. Why? It, it's most likely an age thing, Trish. Many wisteria, not all wisteria varieties, but most wisteria varieties, and you may not like to hear this now, whoever's come in with the question, but they, they need to be between 10 and 15 years of, of age before they'll flower. Uh, young ones won't won't flower. Now, you might have, depending on how old it was, when you, when you got it in the garden, it will determine how soon it will flower. Uh, the best kind of way to, to gauge that is on the price. So if you bought it for 10 or 12 quid, it was probably only two or three years old. If you paid 50 or 60 euro for it, you're probably very close to, to flowering stage. So it, it, it most likely is an age issue. If it is, if you think it is a mature plant and if it has been there in your garden for that long and it's still not flowering, I'd go back to the old faithful tomato food or sulfate of potash and feed in, with that. in early March. Yeah. OK, all right. Thanks for that, uh, Peter. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for joining bye us. Bye-bye. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, uh, the IrishGardener.com. And that's where I have to leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and to uh, Sadie uh, for taking your calls. Our apologies if we didn't get through all of the gardening questions, but it's always the same as this time of the year. We do our best. I think we got through a lot today, which is which is great. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, followed by Martina. And then, of course, we've got Eric. 
uh, this evening and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 lunch then I'm Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie C103 Anthems the best classic songs of all time She's a perfect 10 but she wears a 12 C103 Anthems Weekday mornings from 9 and evenings at 7 C103 When you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers If you have a lot of mailing to do Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.